championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello, welcome to 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Darius Terrell, as always, at least this week, not last week, not always. You guys are listening to the Hornscast channel. It's the Hornscast channel you can find on any podcasting platform out there. This week, we're going to be going over Darius's thoughts on Herman, as you guys heard mine last week. Now it just changes the Baylor game. Speaking of the Baylor game, we'll give you our quick thoughts on it. What are we taking away from that game, good or bad? give you our preview of Oklahoma State, and then bring on Kyle Boone, a national writer for CBS Sports and a contributor for Pistols Firing, to give us an inside look into the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Darius, my man, how are you doing up there? How's the Soto looking? What's up, man? I actually I actually live in the town over in Lancaster, but we're freezing. It's wet. It's high 30s, you know, low 40s and, and wet. So it's pretty much the worst weather you can have because we can't figure out if you want it to snow or whatever. And we got the wind whipping about 15 miles an hour out here. Some good sleeping weather, but, you know, we've had work to do. So Oh, yeah, man. It's been a battle all week. It's been a struggle all week. It has been a but, struggle um, all week to get out of bed with this weather, right? I just – I want to – either be in the sh- in a warm shower all day long or under my blankets and the fact that I have to work you know less than 20 feet away from my bed makes it all the more difficult to do so but we got we got football to talk about here and I know we might not want to do it right now even coming off a win let's go ahead and get right to it because as I said at the beginning of the show y'all heard my thoughts on Herman last week and with the decommitment of Quinn Ewers last night, I think I have finally jumped on the fire Tom Herman bandwagon. Man, it's just, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And thinking about what he's done and the fact that he's in year four and the problems that this team has, it's a problem that in year four you should not have. So my thoughts have changed on this slightly. But Darius, you weren't here to give us your thoughts on Tom Herman and his job stability after his two losses to TCU and Oklahoma Baylor game probably didn't change your ideas much one way or the other, just like the UTEP or Texas tech games. So what are your thoughts on Herman? Are you done with Herman? Well, no, I, I was excited after the UTEP game because I hadn't seen Texas whoop somebody like that in a long time. But, um, so just to, Make sure we're all on the same page. This is this is Tom Herman's fourth season at Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Sam Ellinger is a senior quarterback, right? Um, on paper, Texas has recruited better than anybody else in the Big Twelve, right? Oklahoma is replacing the quarterback for the first time in what in forever with a non grad transfer that's already going to go be the number one pick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who else does Texas play? TCU. Texas was playing TCU this season. This is not one of the better TCU teams, and TCU's quarterback hadn't played all year. It was his first game back. Texas finds a way to lose to TCU. Texas finds a way to lose to Oklahoma with a um, redshirt freshman quarterback that got benched in the middle of the game. Um, Texas would be 2-3 and three right now if not for Texas Tech botching onside recovery. Um, and Texas Tech is a team that is, is not very good this year. So in year four – when I watch Texas play and I still see Texas um, in crucial situations getting, you know, mental mistakes, false starts, holding penalties, 
roughing the passers, defensive pass interference. I'm um in year four. I'm still seeing the team making the same type of mistakes that it was making in year one and year two when the excuse was um, these are other guys' players or my guys are young. Well, now your guys, you have, in a way, you have all the advantages and you have the ultimate advantage, especially in college football with a senior quarterback and a guy that's recognized coming into the season as a top, pretty much unanimously as a top five quarterback in college football. And yet somehow – Texas finds themselves again on side recovery away from being two and three right now in a year where this is supposed to be the year where Texas recaptures the Big Twelve. Texas makes takes that big step towards being or going back to being a major program, and I just have not seen it. I've seen more similarities to Charlie Strong's era than anything else during Tom Herman's um, tenure, and and that is alarming. Yeah, from my rant last week, and again, I would like to point out that I also was very critical of Herman. I kind of went good and then bad. I split it up and just started with good, and everybody was like, oh, he's carrying Herman's water. No, I'm not, at least not right now, but let me play devil's advocate here for you and throw out some arguments in favor of Tom Herman. There are certain things that I think were out of his control, like, again, having to restart on defense, restart on offense. That was stunted by COVID, you can't really hand over the keys well, to a guy who comes right I, in. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you said he had he wasn't his his fault. He had to restart. It's absolutely his fault. He had to restart because he's the guy that hired the folks he had to fire. It's absolutely his fault. He screwed up the hires in the first place, bringing his entire same staff from Houston. You you but you're the head coach of the University of Texas. Okay, you go out. He did a great job. He got Drayton. But other than that, who did Tom Herman add to his staff? Or who did Tom Herman get when he first got this job? that didn't come with him from Houston. It should have been a red flag from the beginning when it seems like the guy actually didn't really have a Rolodex of folks that wanted to come really coach for him. He had to bring the staff from Houston, and then he had to fire the staff from Houston to save his job after year three. It's his fault. Yeah, no, I I, I get that. But he made the right decision of firing those guys, right? Charlie, Something hey, that he, Charlie he Strong didn't do. Uh, did Charlie, Charlie Strong didn't get an opportunity. Charlie Strong was out. Tom Herman didn't have a choice but to fire those guys, or he wouldn't need me to coach right now. He had to. True. He had to pretty much. <laughs> he he pretty much all those guys he brought with him, uh, moved their families and everything. He pretty much had to burn all of them. Yeah. Except for Oscar Giles. This is true. So this is true. No, that no Herman. No. But I do think but the defense. Ahead. The defense is getting better. The defense is actually statistically pretty good. The offense is decent. It's in-game decisions, undisciplined football, and. A bunch of other stuff that I wouldn't say schematic, but more game planning that are the issues. And that falls on Tom Herman. What is, especially prior to this season, I, I, come, I find myself asking, what is the game plan? Like, if you remember, or especially when, since Herman's been here, he's been a guy that'll go for it on fourth down, right? Seemingly, he's a, he's a gambler, go for a guy. But then, where was that same mentality? in overtime against Oklahoma when you've got a 235-pound Sam Ellinger and you've just scored instead of instead of kicking the extra point. Why not? Where's where the same mentality? Where's the consistency? You see what I'm saying? Like, he's inconsistent across the board. So how the heck can we expect anything else from his players or his program? There is no consistency. And I hope I hope that was a good example. No, that, was, that was a pretty good like, example. Like, yeah. Make it make sense. It seems like okay, wake up this morning, okay, this is what we're going to do. 
okay, the next day something totally different. Where's the consistency? But then at the same time, you want to bust people's ass for for not being consistent and not doing things. It starts at the top and and it's tougher with football, right? It's quicker in a sport like, you know, basketball where you got 12 guys, you know, baseball. It's, it's quicker to get guys to, to buy in and, and, and represent, you know, they're in a reflection of the coach. In the sport of football, though, it's been four years. This is year four. Okay, this team is 100% a reflection of their head coach, and these are 100% his players. So these are his guys we're seeing quitting in the middle of the games. These are his guys we're seeing transferring. Okay, these, these are his guys, and they're a reflection of him. Nobody can get any blame in this situation outside of Tom Herman. It's not Chris Del Conte's fault. It's not. It's Tom Herman. So unless Texas does something crazy like runs the table the rest of the way and goes eight and two and wins the Big Twelve Conference Championship or whatever, I don't see any way he survives this. And we're not going to get into it today. But I and I think I think the whole song and eyes of Texas thing is just another way of expediting the process of getting him out of here from other people who have influence behind the scenes. But I am I feel like I gave Tom Herman a 100% a fair chance. I knew he would get a longer chance than Charlie Strong. He would get a longer leash than Charlie Strong. I feel like they've done – the people involved with Texas have been a lot more accommodating for Tom Herman than they were with Strong. They've, they've, they've given him the opportunity to hit reset and do different things. And, again, nothing's changing. And I think – I just think that at this point we've seen he's a guy that, that – he was a young coach when they got him. How much has he actually really grown on the job? He's going to be better later on somewhere else than he could ever be here, especially right now. Yeah, it's sort of the Lane Kiffin sort of thing, isn't it? I, I see some similarities there. Sure. Yeah. Except Lane Kiffin's a lot more likable. But <laughs> it definitely feels like that situation where USC got to Lane Kiffin very early on and he was very young and – didn't know how to run a program. Tom Herman seems to be a, a very young coach who has promise, but he doesn't seem like he has been ready to take on this big of a job quite yet. Uh, again, we talked about last week, especially with Sam Bradshaw, but he hasn't built his own team before Texas. He hadn't shown that he can win with his own players. He hasn't shown that he can be consistently good or win out during a season. You know, he hasn't shown that he can be consistent throughout a season without losing that one game. And that one game might be TCU this year, and he might win out, but that still shows that, you know, you can't win out with a senior quarterback. The best chance you have of winning the Big 12, and what does that say when the Big 12 catches up? I agree. Tom Herman is in a very, very difficult position right now. There's still a chance he wins out, but it starts this weekend. And actually started last week with Baylor because Baylor, not a terrible team on defense. Their offense is certainly, or was certain, now is certainly hurting. So Darius, let's go and give some quick thoughts on that Baylor game. What are you taking away from that game, good or bad? I have my thoughts. What are yours? Uh, it was a painful, it was tough to watch that game, especially in the first half. Hell, I think, did, did Sam Ellinger have negative passing yards through the first quarter or something like that? He had like 10 yards. Yeah, he was it one was for rough. two with like negative one yards. They they just focused on the run game all day long. Yeah, it was rough. But what happened was, and of course, Baylor, Baylor is a is not a good team offensively. It's as bad offensively as we've seen Baylor in probably, you know, in, in a while. And it didn't help that they had three of their starting offensive linemen out. Absolutely. 
And Texas, and to Texas's credit, their defensive line played play well in the, in the ball game. But um, this was the first game I can remember. I mean, you know, discounting UTEP, Texas was the more physical team. I felt like during mm-hmm. the ball game, even though everything wasn't perfect um, offensively, I, I thought I saw guys on the ground. I saw guys um, trying to reestablish, you know, on contact um, the line of scrimmage. I mean, I, look no further than Anthony Cook. That game, Anthony Cook had a great yeah. game. Yeah, you're talking about when he on the, on, the, on the bubble screen where he took on two guys and then it allowed uh, the safety to come up and make the play. Yeah, there were signs of toughness. Texas was physical. I can give them that 100%. I don't know what's up with this team and, and finishing games. That's another thing I think is a reflection of the coach because there's no reason that game with Baylor should have even gotten as close as it ended up being at the end. But um, they struggled to put things away, put them away in the end. And even at the end when K. Brewer went down, Will, I don't know about you, I would have liked to see K. Brewer score that touchdown. Same One, here. because it, it, it was been more reflective of how the game actually was. It wasn't a 10-point, 11-point game like it ended up, the score ended up saying at the end. But also, shit, Baylor wouldn't have took a knee. They wouldn't have went down if it was the other way around. And people have been doing this to you for the past decade. So at what point does the attitude come back? At what point do you start giving it back to other people? And I just, again, I feel like Tom Herman is inconsistent because he came in, he comes in talking this big game and stuff, and then, but you have the opportunity to do it, and then you don't do it. But um, Baylor game, it was ugly. It wasn't fun to watch. There were some good things put on tape from the defense, and from a physicality standpoint, Texas did a really good job last week. They're going to have to bring that same thing against Oklahoma State Saturday, but Oklahoma State is also a much better team than that Baylor team they just faced. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting game plan going in there. They seemed like they wanted to do – a hurry up inside zone or a tempo inside zone game. And they succeeded that in, they succeeded in doing that against what is actually a pretty decent defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had trouble holding up against the Baylor linebackers, especially when they came in on blitzes, which will be something that they're going to have to deal with, with Oklahoma state this week. But I thought it was a Decent game plan. It wasn't a fun or effective game plan, but for Baylor in an offense that really can't score at will, it was a decent game plan. It worked for Baylor, and mm. that's where I think it ends. I think that's the period. Really do that to many other teams who are more talented on offense and can score on a higher clip than you know than Baylor. It worked. It was decent. I don't think it's a game plan that you should go ahead with in the future. The problem is I think that Tom Herman saw that game and saw the success that they had in the run game against Baylor and looks at it as proof positive that his formula works. And that's my fear. I believe in the statement this week, did he say something about, did he say finding their identity or something like that. Do you remember what the quote was? I don't want to misquote or anything, but it was, it was something about he said he, he figuring took a step, out who they are. He took a big step forward on Saturday against Baylor to have two running backs combined for over 100 yards. I thought it was our best day yet running the football from that position. Got to be a little bit more consistent. I don't like zero, one, negative one yard runs. And then we got an eight yard, a nine yard, a 12 yard run. He says, I don't think there's any cause for concern with Sam Ellinger being the running, the leading running back, but I think we're on the right track when it comes to continue to try to improve the run game. Sure, you're on the right track, no, that's, but... That's, Sam Ellinger's not going to be able to carry the ball 23 times this weekend against Oklahoma State. Um, he got banged up in the game against Baylor. I'm, I know it hasn't been talked about much this week, and that's for a reason, because they don't want to you know, highlight it in, but... 
Sam Ellinger's not going to be able to carry the ball. If he runs the ball 25 times Saturday, Texas is probably not going to win the game. I don't know if you remember, but Will, it's about this point. I'm going to, um, do, I don't, so I want to say it was a 2003, 2004. Texas had just gotten beat down by Oklahoma. And the next week, Mac Brown started Cedric Benson in his true freshman season. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It's about that same point in the year this year. And, and you notice Bijan got to start last week. This is about that time where maybe hell, this, it'll be a hell of a time for, for the freshman to have a breakout game, wouldn't it? I watched the game against Iowa State from last week. Texas is going to have the opportunity to, to, to run the ball against the Oklahoma State team. I actually think that's their, that's their best chance because, um, the secondary is big. They're not, they're not fast guys, but they're big and they're handsy and the way, the way Big 12 refs call the game, you know, you just never know, um, from a physicality standpoint, what they're going to let go on down the field. But, um, Texas is going to have to go straight at this Oklahoma State team. And if Keontae Ingram, if B. John Robinson, if the offensive line, can somehow find a way to get it together, that would go a long ways in this one. But I have concerns that um, if Texas struggles to run the ball, how exactly they're going to score these big points that some people think that they're, you know, think it's some high-powered offense. And I think that's a little bit of a – I think UTEP is skewing some of those numbers. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that perhaps you substitute some of those runs for passes, quick passes over the middle uh, using a guy like Jared Wiley. I would like, hey, I'm a, I love Wiley, but they, they want Kay Brewer out there, man, more than them right now. Yeah, I'm, I think that over the past, what, two, three games, they've started to realize, or they should realize, Kay Brewer is the guy whose blood, sweat, and tears are on the field, but Jared Wiley is the one with the talent. And Jared Wiley is probably going to start seeing more more use in the passing game. The one interception that Sam Ellinger threw against Baylor, it was a pass to Jared Wiley that just was a little late. They're trying to get the ball to him as much as they can. Well, hey, Wiley could be an X factor in the game against the against the Cowboys on Saturday. But no, like you were saying, like um, trying to utilize the quick passing game. Oklahoma State's going to heat him up, so that's going to be a big part of it too. Can Sam identify pre snap where that ball's supposed to go, and mm-hmm. can he be accurate? Well, that's that's the question. Yeah. Um, part of the issues this year has been his accuracy. That's been a big issue for him throughout his career, right? Yeah. So I think when you're looking at the Baylor game, back to the Baylor game, I do think that, yes, Baylor's offense is atrocious, but I think it's more proof positive that this Chris-ass defense is going to get better as the season goes on and they have time to learn the defense. Again, they absolutely changed the entire defense and then weren't able to practice it over the offseason or in the spring. So they had to um, learn. They're learning on the fly here. That. It's like, Darius, it's like changing your – I've said it a hundred times on the show. It's like changing your golf swing before you go to a tournament. You know, you might be able to practice for a week, but if you change your entire golf swing that you've been working on for years, it's going to be shaky. And, and the more you swing, the more it's going to fall into place. I think yeah. I think advanced statistics have shown that this defense is actually pretty good, but everybody's view is skewed because of the game against Texas Tech and missed tackles in the first half of TCU. But I think as this team continues to grow uh, this season, I think the defense gets better. I don't know if I can say that for the offense. I have a hard time going taking the leap of faith uh, that the defense is – you know, got their tackling issues all cleared up. I think it seemed like they had their lowest amount of missed tackles this season against Baylor. But how much was that just 
Baylor. Baylor not being great offensively, right? Oklahoma State again has got much better quarterback. Um, I think they've got a better offensive line without a question. Chuba Hubbard is going to be a draft pick. LD Brown is a he's a legit four three guy. Um, Tylen Wallace is the best wide receiver in the league. Yeah, this is the best skill position group that we've seen since Texas Tech. Yeah, again, Texas, and we we mentioned it later on. Texas has done a great job um, of, of kind of bottling Chuba Hubbard up throughout his career. Is this the, is this time for him to finally have his breakout game? Can they do it again? Um, Spencer Sanders is a guy that's going to give him opportunities to to, to, um, to take the ball away. Will Texas take advantage of it? We saw some missed opportunities last week, right? Yeah. Um, it's going to come down. To, it's going to come down to turnovers, and I just I'm concerned that it's going to be Texas that's going to be the one making that critical mistake later on because it's what they've shown to be under this head coach. Well, it seems like both of us are kind of done and, and really more pushing to talk about Oklahoma State than Baylor. So let's go ahead and do that. And mm-hmm. let's start with the Oklahoma State offense here because it's honestly absolutely loaded everywhere except for a few spots up front. And, and let's talk about that, the off the line here. You have right tackle Tevin Jenkins, who will play on Sundays. Left guard Josh Sills. Those two guys are, and I guess the center three of the guys who stuck around for Oklahoma State this offseason as the rest of their off-the-line fled. Uh, But those two guys have been reliable enough to provide enough ground game and provide enough good pockets for Spencer Sanders against Iowa State. And uh, I forget who their backup quarterback was against the other, you know, Kansas and West Virginia. Mm -hmm. But again, I think if there's one spot on this, and I guess we're starting off with the weakness here. If there's one spot on this offensive line or this offense that can be, if there's one spot on this offense that can be exploited, it's probably those gaps between the center and the right guard and that left tackle spot, which is manned by a walk-on. Yeah, watching watching that Ohio, Iowa State game, I would say after about the second series, I, I felt like I had a good feel for what Oklahoma State wanted to do offensively and when they were going to do it in certain situations. Um, pretty much any time anytime they're in a third and medium or third and short situation and they can get Tylen Wallace mm-hmm. and man-to-man coverage singled up, that's where they're going to go every single time. Um, the Tylen Wallace? When they Wallace? have the two, yes, yes. Um, they, they was, it was multiple times last week where they hit the um, the quick speed out for six, seven yards when they needed three or four. And, and we saw against Baylor, Texas gives that up fairly yeah, regularly. Yeah, Texas – Texas does it. They give it up. They do stuff like that all the time on, on third and third and three. The cornerback would be off six, seven yards. They do that a lot. And um, Oklahoma State has shown that they will take advantage of that, especially with number two out there. But um, they, they do like to keep, um, you know, they really only play through. I would say they play four receivers often. Obviously, Wallace stays out there nonstop. Dylan Stoner has been there. He's been in college longer than Sam Ellinger, it feels like. Um, but do but they um they keep two tight ends. Okay, the main one is eighty seven. I mean eighty nine Woods. The other one is eighty seven. But just like Texas likes to do with uh with Brewer and um with Brewer and Wiley, Oklahoma State likes to keep those two tight ends in the game so that they can go up tempo and line up in different formations and do different things without subbing. But just like Texas as well, when Oklahoma State does go hurry up, well they do get predictable. And um I just there are a lot of similarities between these two teams. And one of them is ranked in the top 10 right now and one's unranked, but I, I think they're a lot closer to being um, actually at about the same level. So, and I think that that has a chance. That's what will make it, will keep it a close game. I'm going to knock on wood here, but this feels like 2018, but in reverse. Where one team's coming in top 10, but 
it doesn't really look like they're a top 10 team, or at least they're not an elite team that deserves to be in the top 10, in my opinion, or won't be at the end of the season. And the other team is coming off of some hard losses uh, with a senior quarterback and an embattled head coach. So <laughs> it's a, it's That's almost true. the exact reverse of what you saw in 2018 where Texas went to Oklahoma State and lost. But back to this offensive line, they've given up nine sacks this year. Who have they played aside from Iowa State? Nobody. So they're having a little bit of a rough go here. They're still solid enough to have a good offense. Not a great offense, but a good one. Let's go ahead and go the complete opposite from offensive line and go out to the wide receivers here because they have a deadly combo of the Belitnikov finalist, Tylen Wallace, as you were talking about, on the outside, Dylan Stoner, and the tight end Jelani Woods over the middle with Logan Carter on the other side. Yeah, they, they use those two tight ends just like Texas does with Brewer and Wiley. They want um they'll line one they'll line both of them up in the backfield. Um they'll do a, a diamond set with uh Chuba Hubbard or LD Brown back there. Um Oklahoma State wants to run the ball. They'll run his own read. Um, they'll pull a guard for the uh, for the quarterback backside and have them read that where they can either give it to the running back or pull it. Oklahoma State wants to keep the ball on the ground mainly because you know Spencer Sanders is a young quarterback. He is prone to to, to turning the ball over, and I think they want to try to keep you know keep him from having to make too many um, crucial decisions if that's possible. And they do that by keeping the ball in the hands of of, of Chupa Hubbard and LD Brown, and then following those tight ends with quick passes off play action and things like that. Um, but um, the fastest guy on the team is number eight, Braden Johnson. Uh, the other guy, number one, Wolf, comes in as well. But they, yeah, like I like I said, they pretty much only use the same four receivers, and then those two tight ends uh, make up the majority. Um, Eleven and twelve personnel is out there 80, 80, 75, 80 percent of the time. And speaking of those same wide receivers, Tylen Wallace has been out there, and he's been consistent this year, despite Spencer Sanders only really playing one full game. Uh, he's averaging over 100 yards per game, and I've seen teams triple cover him at times in my watches of Oklahoma State's film. At least he always has a guy up on him and a safety over top. That is, seems to be what teams are doing. They're spending two players on one guy, and that's how dangerous he is on the outside. I mean, that guy, he just is an acrobat in the air. When the ball is near him, he's able to secure it, tuck it real fast, and then get his feet down inbounds or wherever he is. It's quite impressive to watch that guy, and I don't know if Texas fans remember him from the last two years, but they should. Uh, you know, if I was Texas's defensive backs here, I would probably take a page out of Oklahoma's book and be physical, very physical to the point where you're probably committing penalties every other play and just see whether or not the refs will call it. Because in this conference, it seems to be that you know tugging and pulling are a lot of the time just kind of par for the course. Yeah, um, going back, looking at this, just checking this box score again from last year, um, Texas held Tyler Wallace to 83 yards, and he didn't score. All these receivers uh, and tight ends, all of them are back from last year. This is this is the same. This like you mentioned, this is a very experienced team. Uh, team. But uh, Spencer Sanders did turn the ball. He threw two interceptions last year. I think he might have put the ball on the ground last year with a fumble as well. But um, Texas, I don't 
man, I just feel like I, in Oklahoma State games, they've, they've been weird regardless of who Oklahoma State's had to. In the, over the last decade, pretty much every game with Oklahoma State has been a weird, been weird, a, weird been, game. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a battle. And there's no reason to believe that this one's going to be any different. It, it's it's going to come down to, you know, somebody's going to get a ticky-tack call late. Somebody's going to make that mistake. And who is it going to be? Mm-hmm. I really think this was a coin flip. And that, that shouldn't be the case with Texas having a senior Sam Ellinger, but that's that's where we're at right now. Yeah. Well, speaking of Spencer Sanders, though, he has been hobbled by injuries, but he came back for the Iowa State mm-hmm. game, and he really does give this offense a dynamic playmaker. I don't know if we, people remember him from last year, but that guy has some crazy acceleration. He's very dangerous on the outside, and he has a big arm. Maybe not a very accurate arm, but a big arm. Yeah, he ran, he threw for over two sixty last year against Texas and ran for another one hundred ten, and that was as a, as a true freshman. Right, he still makes a few underclassmen mistakes as you're talking about, but he is surrounded by upperclassmen who can make those mistakes and turn them into positive yardage. Or he's even done that in occasion. There's a game, there's a play against Iowa State where he didn't see the snap coming. It's a fumble. He picks it up, runs outside, runs past the Iowa State defenders, and chucks it downfield for a first down. He is able to make those plays with his feet because of his acceleration, his ability to get going really fast. And Gundy loves to run to the edge. He loves the edge. And with the reintroduction of Spencer Sanders into this game, they now have a viable threat to attack the inside or the outside, which will force teams to respect both, putting them in a limbo. So you see this constantly when they go to the heavier backfields where they have two running backs, or they go to a diamond formation, uh, which they then bring three guys forward or two guys forward through the holes, fake a handoff, and it's uh, an RPO. Or not really RPO. It's more of just a read option where you either hand it off in the inside or you're going to the outside if you're Spencer Sanders. Everybody goes inside, forcing the entire defense to follow suit. Then Spencer Sanders is scrambling across the outside. It comes down to to gap discipline and, and tackling. It comes down to tackling. And that's what scares me. That's the scary part. Yeah. But guys are going to have to, it's going to be, guys are going to have to make plays in, in individual one on one matchups in space. And can Texas do it consistently? And Oklahoma State's again, they're going to pound the ball. They're going to pound, pound, pound. But then there's going to be crucial moments where it's time for a one on one tackle in space. Can they get it done? Can they get that guy down before he gets to the marker? Yeah. If Spencer Sanders is in the game, the entire game, I would entertain the thought of eating my shoe. If he does not have a run to the outside, yeah, you're not gonna have to do that. You're all right. Yeah, uh, and speaking of the run game, though, you you talked about Chuba Hubbard and LD Brown. It seems like they should be a very good combo, but on paper, they're not as explosive as they look on film. I mean, Chuba Hubbard's still doing really well uh, with 478 yards on the ground against P5 opponents. Uh, he's very patient, allows holes to open, has great vision, and creates his own holes. And on top of that, has good balance, enough strength, and a lot of wiggle to make him an, an elite tackle breaker. So that's what you have to look forward to as a Longhorn fan. And LD Brown, the other side of that, right, is perennial backup, but still averaging around six yards per carry. However, they only have 769 yards on the season against P5 teams, and... They're rushing for 5.2 yards per carry. To put that in perspective, they have the same amount of carries and the same yards per carry as Texas does this season. I think those are two NFL running backs. Eddie Brown's been getting some hype this year as an NFL guy. 
Again, it's going to come down to tackling. Texas can't afford any injuries. Jawan Mitchell's got to have a great game. Joseph Joseph Osai's going to be banged up. Texas can't afford for him not to be out there. Um, it's just it's going to be a, a three yards in a cloud of dust kind of day for a lot of times, except for those opportunities down the field and those opportunities in space that come up, I think, once every five or six plays. It's going to be crucial. It's, it's going to be one of those games where you're going to be one to either you're either going to be one to, um, you know, to watch something else, do something else, or it's going to be going really great one way or the other. I think we're in for a blood pressure raiser. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be interesting because there was an article that came out from the Austin American Statesman earlier this week that was highly criticized where it said running, and I criticized it too, where it says running is going to be critical for this game, getting your run game going. Yes and no. I think getting the run game going would be very beneficial. It should be the first thing you try to establish. But if it comes to the point where you realize that the run game is not working, you're going to have to be more flexible and figure out other ways to get your short yardage gains like quick passes over the middle or quick outs or take advantage of something that they are giving you. However, if you're trying to force the inside zone in tempo or be inflexible as we've seen in other games in the past, then you're going to lose this game. Texas has the advantage, and it may come down to something like this. Texas should have the advantage in the kicking game. Yeah, but then you have the punt punt coverage team. Well, they don't don't have a returner that's that's, that's, that's doing too much freaky stuff. I'm not scared about the returner. I'm scared of the blockers, the guys who are coming in, because, you know, the reason that Bushevsky hasn't looked great this year is not because he's a bad kicker. I mean, when he has time, he's able to – do a really good job is the fact that he doesn't know if he has pressure, if he has time, if there's going to be a guy in his face in a second. He has no idea. No idea of play to play. Punt the punt. So the fact that that has been a problem this year has really, really hurt Texas in the field position battles. Going to the defense, though, this is probably Oklahoma State's best defense they've had since 2013. And they've really had three good defenses over the past decade, 2011, where they were the number one team at one point, I believe, 2013, and this year. All those teams were top 10, top 15, and S&P Plus on defense. And right now, I mean, I'm going to throw some numbers out here. They're returning 10 of their 11 starters from last year, 12 of their top 13 tacklers from last year. They're ranked 12th in defensive S&P Plus. Plus, they've really shown out in the pass game. I mean, they are 16th nationally in pass defense. To put that in perspective, Texas is 68th holding opponents to 5.7 yards per attempt and 176 yards per game. The front of this defense, also very solid. In the run game, they've held opponents to 3.4 yards per carry and 127 yards per game. Now, to put that in perspective, Texas is also very good at stopping the run, and that's around where Texas' numbers are. But here's where Oklahoma State is really good. The money downs. And it really comes to their run-stuffing ability. They stuff the run 25% of the time, which means carries are stopped before or at the line of scrimmage 25% of the time. They have four sacks per game, averaging, and 36 tackles for loss. Again, dangerous on money downs. Third in the nation in third down conversion percentage, only allowing 19.3% of third down conversions. 40% of the runs on third and fourth down of two yards or less achieve that first down or touchdown. So when they're backed up against the first down marker or they're backed up against the red zone or the end zone, 
They're the ninth best team in the country. They're reliable. Now, defensive line, Darius. Trace Ford. He's a guy that TFB identified early, but he was passed on everybody except for Oklahoma State. Him in combination with other defensive tackles. What do you, what do they do that you saw on film? Well, they're just they're at they're athletic guys that um you know they've they've had the ability. They do stunning like every team in America. They run their stunts. They run some you know different things and twists and things like that, that that Texas will have to figure out and pick up. But um they've got bodies. Oklahoma State is athletic in those bodies up front, which is a little bit different. So those guys with Baylor last week, they weren't very big on the inside. Um. I'm trying to remember TCU's defensive line wasn't what it has been in the past. This will be to this point, this will be the best defensive this will be the best defense that Texas has best defensive front, defensive line at least that Texas has played this year. It remains to be seen, you know, how that matchup's gonna go, but on paper, it doesn't favor the Longhorns. No. And um that one that's actually that matchup on the line of scrimmage, Texas offensive line versus Oklahoma State's defensive line, I think will will go a long ways in telling the story of this one. Israel Antoine, the defensive tackle, is a transfer from Colorado. He currently is tied for the team lead with three and a half sacks. And the guy you mentioned, Ford, has three sacks on the season. I think combined, Israel Oklahoma State's already got like, you know, something like 15. I think something like 15, 15 sacks. 16 sacks. Yeah, they, they've been getting after it. So Against West Virginia and Iowa State, they have eight sacks, so about four per game against real yeah. teams. Yeah, so that's a big concern um, yeah. heading into this game, something to pay attention to. Yeah, what they really do up front is – Twists, stunts, crosses, uh, every single type of defensive line blitz that you can think of. There's a lot of movement up front, and they use guys, like you're saying, Israel Antwine, Cameron Murray, Brennan Evers, to free up space inside for a guy like Trace Ford, who might be coming across three gaps to fill in another gap, or... Really, those linebackers who are coming in from the interior on rushes and blitzes and filling gaps, who they bring them from every which way, every position, every angle. They are bringing a linebacker almost on every single play. And they could do that because this is another Big 12 team where linebacker is probably their deepest unit, and Texas really should probably take some notes on, on how they achieved that. You have four seniors in that linebacker room. Amen Ogbongamiga, Malcolm Rodriguez, Calvin Bundage, Devin Harper, and they play a 4-2-5 defense, so you only have two linebackers in the field. Texas would take one of any of those guys, and it would be an upgrade on what they have right now. Well, no, they turned down Tony Fields, who's starting every game in West Virginia, but go ahead. Yeah, Colin <laughs> Schooler. Yeah, Kyle, yep, Colin Schooler. I don't get it. I don't yeah. get it. But um no, yeah, Oklahoma State's only plays two linebackers at a time, but they they rotate those guys in and they come in fresh. Um Agbaga Bigamiga, Jesus, Lord, <laughs> Amen, number eight, number eight, Amen, Amen O is probably the best linebacker on the team. Uh Malcolm Rodriguez, I remember him from last year. He's a converted safety who, you know, sometimes when Oklahoma State does give up those big runs, it's Rodriguez getting overwhelmed a little bit when Alam is able to reach the second level. Bundage is a guy that, that missed pretty much all of last year. He has three and a half sacks or three sacks already this season as well. He gets after the quarterback really well on those blitzes. And Harper is the guy that comes in for Rodriguez and plays the mic. I think Harper, outside of, of, of Amen, I, I think Harper might be um, the second best linebacker on the team, even though he doesn't get all of the stats, number 16. 
they've, they've got a good thing going out, the Cowboys, and um, they're able to keep those guys fresh too, which I think plays a big part in their success. Well, speaking of those stats, when you look at these linebackers and what these four guys have been able to do this year, this year alone, these four guys are combined for 76 tackles, eight sacks, 14 tackles for losses, eight quarterback hurries, a few pass breakups, and a lot of stuff runs. These guys are legit. And they are coming at you pretty much every single play. They So when it comes to the RPOs against this front seven, Sam is going to have to make quick and correct decisions almost every single play because, again, with all the movement and the different blitzing angles, this defense is dangerous. But if you are able to notice, hey, this guy is crashing down and is leaving the outside open and he's their blitzer, then if you keep the ball, you can take off. You saw that with Brock Purdy last week. Or sometimes they overrun their gap. And a guy, like you said, Rodriguez will overrun the gap and you have your running back, he's gone. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be things like that where they're bringing heat with speed. So deep shots, probably not the best idea unless you are in a favorable down in distance. And transitioning to the next part of the defense, the secondary. Our um, defensive coordinator knows we've got some kids. We had a, a cornerback that uh, signed with Oklahoma State this past year, and I, we know we were able to talk to some guys that that play for the program, and you know, get some ideas, and you know, ask them really how it's like. And even the guys there at Oklahoma State, they kind of let them know that you know, coach is a guy that emphasizes, especially a cornerback um, and, and safety. He emphasizes size over speed and things like that. He wants ball skills and size. And guys that were from preferably that played on the offensive side of the ball as well. So um guys like Jake Smith, Brendan Eagles, there will be opportunities to to get behind these corners, to get behind these safeties. But they are big guys, they are lone guys that um they're gonna get physical, they're gonna get handsy um with the Texas receivers down the field. Will the Texas receivers be tough enough to play through that and still make the play, or will they put it up in the hands of the referees to to make a call? In which that case you know, you well, can't will the rely offensive on that. line give Sam enough time with that true. That true. Yeah. Oklahoma State that bringing too. six players at a time sometimes. Yeah, that's fair too. That's fair too. But right? um, yeah, there are some questions. There are some questions that um that that I I, I have um, a lot of concerns about. But the best part about it is you got to line up and actually do it. So let's find out. Well, real fast, let's talk about the defensive backs just to finish it off here. Mm-hmm. What have you seen from the Cowboys in this defensive backfield? Uh, I think the best defender in the secondary is number 31, uh, Harvey or Harvey Peel. The safeties were all there last year. Um, the corners were all there last year, except 24. I don't really remember 24. But uh, number eight, Rodarius Williams is the brother of a former LSU All-American um, and current Cleveland Brown. I think he's been there since forever. Yeah, he's been there for a while. But that's Greedy Williams' brother. Yeah, yeah, he's been there for a long time. But that's Greedy Williams' brother. Um, number three, Sterling is the safety that's going to be down in the box um, more often than not. Trey Sterling, he's a force defender. He replaces guys that are blitzing from the linebacker position often. He's a pretty solid tackler. I don't think he's very good in coverage. 31 is a long, lanky guy. I was just talking about Harvey Pill. He's a guy that can make plays on the football when balls are, are floated down the field, up down the scene. Um, he's a guy I think you need to be paying attention to, 31 in that secondary. And then the nickelback, I'm drawing a little bit of a blank. Um, he was all right. He was all right. But um, the safeties are experienced, though. That secondary is big. They will be physical. 
They're going to force the Texas receivers to have to be tough. Otherwise, um, they're going to beat them up all game. Tanner McAllister? Yeah, that guy. I'm not that familiar with that guy. Okay, yeah, Tanner McAllister. Well, I think you've gotten our take and our understanding of this team, but let's go ahead and bring on somebody who follows them for a living and has been watching this team closer than we have for longer, Kyle Boone of CBS Sports, a national writer for CBS Sports, and a contributor for Pistols Firing, the Cowboys, Oklahoma State Cowboys blog. Kyle, how you doing, man? How's it going? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast, and I'm pumped to uh, talk some football ahead of a, a big game this weekend. Are you up in Oklahoma City? I'm not. I'm actually in Tulsa. But yeah, we're we're having kind of statewide problems with electricity outages across the state. So um, yeah, I was I was actually asking because I know your co-host was having some problems with internet connection. I thought, well, maybe he lives in Oklahoma City because they're having some real trouble up there. But yeah, I'm in Tulsa, so I've been here all my life, and it's not too bad. Well, still being up there, I'm sure you can give us maybe your best meteorology. Uh impression and tell me what's it going to look like on Saturday is it going to be icy and cold like it has been this week uh my best meteorology take is that it's really cold right now it's probably <laughs> just going to be cold again this weekend i'm hoping that it's not going to be icy or snowy i don't think that's in the forecast but it's probably going to be cold so let's go ahead and start looking into this game then i really want to start off with a broad look at this team Starting off 4-0, and you have 10 of 11 back on defense. You have a ton of returning talent on offense. You've been pretty good this year, aside from a a pretty iffy start against Tulsa. Now being ranked number 6, do you feel that this team is overrated, underrated, or rated just right? I think it's properly rated at the moment. Um, You know, number 6 is probably a little bit higher than I thought they would be at this point in the season. But you look at uh, what they've done, they beat everyone in front of them. Their defense right now is playing, I think, at a top 10 level nationally, top 10 in points allowed uh, per game. They have the number three third down defense in the country, top 10 in yards allowed per game. So their defense is playing at a really high level offensively. I think it's still a work in progress, but you know, they, you know, they're undefeated. They're the only undefeated team in the Big 12. And, you know, whether that's Texas or OU or OSU, if there was only one undefeated team in the Big 12, yeah, I, I think that's probably about right. That number six range is, is about what you would expect. Kyle, where would you say, in your opinion, where is this team the most dangerous offensively? You know, I, th- I think they're really dangerous when they have balance. This team, especially on offense – can be a little bit predictable. You know, they they really like to lean on the run. Gundy is uh, notoriously conservative. I think he, you know, his his probably dream job is is running Iowa and just running power formation right up the gut. <laughs> when they're leaning on the run the way that they sometimes do, it's it's kind of easy to stop. But when Spencer Sanders is is throwing the ball down the field and making plays with his legs. Um, they have to force defenses to choose. Do they, do they want to focus on trying to take away Tylen Wallace down the field, or do they have to try and force defenses to take away Chuba Hubbard in the run game? And I think when they have a good balance running and passing the ball, I think that is, uh, that's when they're probably at their most dangerous. And, and we really haven't seen that yet from this Oklahoma State offense this season. So speaking of Chuba Hubbard, Wait, no, where is Chuba Hubbard from last year? It doesn't seem like he's been as explosive this year 
than he was last year. And it doesn't mean that he's having a bad year this year. I mean, he's having a great year. But what has happened to kind of turn the knob backwards in terms of productivity? He definitely started slow. Yeah, and and I think that was definitely a concern. Even through the first two games, Chuba Hubbard and L.D. Brown were both getting similar workloads. And L.D. Brown, who's a senior who really has been just a career backup, looked like the more explosive back. Now, Chuba has started to come on of late. He's got 300-yard games coming into this weekend has 385 yards rushing in the last three games. So he's he's starting to look like the Chuba Hubbard that we saw from last season. And certainly I don't I don't think that um the maybe the tear that he went on last season, maybe that just isn't gonna come now that teams know, hey, this is the guy. This is the guy that can win the Heisman if he's that good as as he was last season. So maybe defenses are, are starting to kind of zero in on him and say, okay, Let's make the somewhat turnover-prone quarterback try and beat us with his arm. Um, but still, you know, I think if you're saying, you know, Chuba Hubbard is, has maybe not been as good as we expected, the fact that he's, you know, already nearing 500 rushing yards through four games, that's still not too bad. No, it's almost as much as Texas has in total. <laughs> so I know you mentioned, you touched lightly about the, you know, on the predictability of the offense. Um, if you were an opposing defensive coordinator, you know, how would you attack this offense? Where is the biggest weakness on this offense, in your opinion? I, you know what? I, I actually think it's at quarterback. I think it's Spencer Sanders. We saw him, you know, come back from injury in this last game against Iowa State, and, and he made some big plays uh, with his legs. He had a rushing touchdown. He threw it okay down the field, but he's still shaking off the rust. He missed a few games from injury, and in the games and the times that he is healthy, he's been a little bit turnover prone as the quarterback. When he drops back to pass, he had two interceptions last week against Iowa State. He's somewhat loose with the ball when he runs, and he's so electric when he pulls it down and tries to make plays with his legs that sometimes he doesn't have good ball security. So, you know, I think right now um, it, it's probably at the quarterback spot. And if you're a defensive coordinator coming into this weekend, you're going to try and get Spencer Sanders rattled. You want to try and get him running to try and make plays out of the pocket, trying to make passes that maybe aren't quite there. Because I think he he is, you know, despite starting last season, I think he's still a little, little bit immature as, as a decision maker, and I think that's probably the weak spot on OSU's offense right now. Really, I'm surprised to hear you say that and not the offensive line, like in the interior offensive line aside from your yeah. left guard. Yeah, the, you know what? The offensive line, I think everyone expected would be kind of a weak spot for this team. Um, you know, coming in, they they lost Bryce Bray, who transferred just before the season started, a guy who was going to start at at uh, at guard, I believe, for them, and um, lost another guy to to transfer. Essentially, I think they lost three guys like right before the season, and the thought process was that you know that they were losing so much experience that it would be really tough to replace, but they've done a really good job. They have a, a walk on who's really playing quality snaps for them right now. I think he's starting at left tackle. You know, they have a lot of experience up front and, and they've been able to kind of piece it together. They may be an injury or two away from really going into a spot where they're having to start, you know, true freshmen or guys who haven't played much, but you know, the fact that they've been able to have so much success protecting the quarterback being able to run, you know, with, with Chuba Hubbard and L.D. Brown, I think speaks to the fact that, you know, this is still somewhat of a, a patchwork on the offensive line, but 
they've managed to kind of figure this out kind of on the fly. And, and it really hasn't been a, a weak spot, despite, you know, the, the perception that probably coming into the season, it was the big weak spot coming into the year. Last question for the offense here. Who is the key player on Oklahoma State that needs to have a big game in order for them to win? My guess is you're going to say Spencer Sanders here. Yeah, I think I think it's Spencer. Now, if Chuba Hubbard goes out there and and lays an egg and he and he plays like you know the game the first game of the season where he he didn't have that explosiveness and couldn't break off any big plays, I think that's that's going to be a concern. You're, you're going to hope and and expect that Chuba Hubbard is the Chuba Hubbard that we all have seen this season for the most part. Yeah, I, I think it's probably Spencer Sanders. They need Spencer to have a big game. They need him to manage the game. They they need him not to commit turnovers. They need him to be able to feed the ball to Tylen Wallace down the field. And if it's a shootout, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if it, if it is a shootout, I think that's going to be especially important for Oklahoma State because this Texas offense is absolutely lethal. And if you're going to get into a duel with Sam Ellinger, you better be able to take care of the football, and I, I think it's going to be a, a, a real priority for Oklahoma State this weekend. Yeah, and actually, has Chuba Hubbard, has he actually ever had, has he hasn't had a big breakout game against Texas, has he, actually, in his career? I, I don't think so. And even going back a few years, when Justice Hill was an All-American, I, I don't think that Justice, you know, for the most part, Texas has done a good job uh, defending OSU's rushing attack. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that unfolds this weekend. I would imagine that Chuba is probably going to be the the focal point of what Texas tries to stop. All right. So transitioning over to defense, Mm -hmm. um, how has Jim Knowles, in your opinion, over the past few seasons, how has he transformed his defense? Really? He's, he's got a lot of talent in the middle of the field. I think this is probably the best linebacker core that OSU's had in, in probably a decade. Um, it's, It's definitely the best safety core that they've had since, since they won the Big 12 in 2011. They're, they're really talented in the middle of that defense. They have a really good and deep defensive line. I think he's just kind of developed this defense by recruiting his guys. A lot of times you see defensive coordinators turn things around. They, they go out and get four- and five-star recruits, but that really hasn't been the case. He's recruited to uh, try and find guys who fit his system, fit his scheme. That They really prioritize length. At the safety spot, they, they love long safeties and cornerbacks and guys who can make plays. And, you know, even even guys who have played both sides of the ball at wide receiver and on defensive backs. So it's been kind of interesting to see how this unfolds. And I'm still skeptical that it will hold. You know, I think right now it, it looks like one of the best defenses in the Big 12. Now, they played West Virginia, Tulsa. Iowa State. It, it's not exactly Texas and OU. It's it's not a murderer's row. So we'll see how this holds up. Um, but yeah, certainly I think the the way that he's been able to turn this defense around has been uh, very impressive for Oklahoma State. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, do you think that Jim Knowles is calling and creating this defense? Or is this defense kind of supported and held up by the, the cycles that have aligned in his recruitment, bringing them a, a bevy of veteran talent like Oklahoma State had in 2013, where they yeah. had a really great defense, and then the next year just fell apart because they lost all their seniors, and then they just couldn't do it until you know the that defensive coordinator got fired in 2017. Yeah, it, it's been honestly, it's been kind of a perfect storm. Like for example, the the two guys who I think are maybe the most electric playmakers on this defense, um, at least up front at, at the linebacker spot, is is Trace Ford 
who they got out of Oklahoma, a guy that they really thought was probably going to end up playing elsewhere at like Baylor or Florida State, a, a bigger program. They got Baylor's him. Baylor's the bigger to, program. Well, at the at the time, at the time, ba- Baylor was considered the favorite. Now Baylor's definitely not the bigger program. They got him to stay in state, and then Calvin Bundage, his former high school teammate, had a season-ending injury, came back. And now this year, it looks like kind of the the thunder to Trace Ford's lightning. So two guys who they probably didn't expect to have on the on the field at the same time, uh, pairing up to be just uh, electric pass rushers on that defense. Uh, Colby Harvell Peel is a guy who was a lightly recruited three-star recruit and now looks like an All-American candidate at safety. Uh, Rodarius Williams is like in his 16th year playing cornerback. So they have some experience. They have some young guys that probably came along a little bit faster. And I think it's kind of been a perfect storm for, um, for, you know, right now a defense that looks like one of the best that Mike Gundy's ever had. Yeah. So you really quickly kind of just touched on each level of, you know, pretty much the main guys to watch at each level, you know, mm-hmm. of the defense, where would you say, what are the, what is the main strength of this defense? And then what is its biggest weakness in your opinion? Yeah, I think the the strength of this defense is is the secondary and and the safeties. You know, they've been able for the most part to be able to limit those big plays down the field um, better than normal this season for Oklahoma State. That that has really been a weak spot for for years. Under previously, it was under other defensive coordinators. Now under Knowles, it's been a little bit better. They've allowed time for the pass rushers to get after the quarterback. You know, the the defensive backs have have really done a good job of covering down the field. You know, weakness on the defense, I would say, is probably on the ground. You can probably run on this team. They've given up a few big plays across the seams down the middle of the field. And Ellinger has shown that, you know, he can, he can make some tight passes to tight ends, to guys who are streaking across the field. And I think that it's going to be an interesting uh, way that they potentially attack this OSU defense. So, We'll see. This, you know, this is a very good defense. I think they're schemed up very well, but it's certainly, I think there's certainly some holes that uh, Texas and certainly Mike Yersich probably knows about and and will be uh, attacking pretty aggressively on Saturday. This next question, I'm really curious about because when we were talking, you were saying that you might, I might be cheered up by your prediction on this game. So go ahead and give me that prediction. Make my day. Yeah. Look, I. I don't want to feed your ego, but I, I think Texas is going to win this game. I think it's going to be close. So Texas um, loses this game. Got it. <laughs> I'm not doing reverse psychology. I, I, I do think that Texas ends up winning 31-28. That is my prediction. Why is yeah. that? OSU's defense has been really good. There's no question about it. But Texas's offense has been outstanding. And... You know, I, I think the balance that Texas will be able to have in this game will outweigh OSU's balance. Uh, OSU's really not been that electric on offense this season, and may, and maybe they just haven't because they haven't had to. You know, they haven't really been in a shootout. But you know, I, I question whether Oklahoma State can win a close game. And when the chips are in the middle of the table, can Oklahoma State score some points? That that's going to be the question. We'll see. I, I think it's going to come down to whether Spencer Sanders can play a turnover-free game. And, uh, see, so yeah, I'm, I'm going with Texas in a close one. I think it's going to be a really good game on Saturday. Well, that's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think Darius and I are in the same boat there. At least I'm not. 
But uh, <laughs> Kyle, man, thank you so much for joining us. It was nice to talk to you. And uh, again, thanks for joining. All right. Darius, Will, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kyle. Again, thank you to Kyle Boone for joining us. Darius, let's end off the show real fast with giving our predictions on the game. What do you think happens here? Well, not to sound like I'm copying Kyle or anything, but I actually, um, it'll be published tomorrow. I'm actually predicting, believe it or not, Will, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of thinking I may have, may need to rethink that now, but I'm, I'm predicting Texas to pull it out. I got Texas winning the game Saturday, I believe 31 to 28. I think Cameron Dicker's going to come through in the end. Um, to give them the lead, and I think I think Texas will force a turnover late to seal it. If that happens, then you're going to have a civil war in this fan base. 100% civil war. think so. It's going to be like Charlie Strong in his last year, where you have the guys who are hire Tom Herman now or and fire Charlie Strong or keep Charlie Strong for another year and see if he can do it. That's, that's what's going to happen. I think not out of Oklahoma State. I'm not as confident in this game. I'm not as confident in this game. My gut is confident, which is weird, but my head and my heart are in two different places. I'm going to go with my head on this one and say the Oklahoma State team has a lot fewer holes than this Texas team. And I think Tylen Wallace, Spencer Sanders are going to be a deadly duo, mainly because Tylen Wallace is going to be able to take advantage of the smaller defensive backs Texas has. And... With Spencer Sanders and his legs, he's going to be able to take advantage of the linebackers. On the other side of the ball, you know, it's your defensive line versus the offensive line. And I'm going to go with Oklahoma State's defensive line over Texas' offensive line here. Sounds like you're expecting an ass-whooping. I'm not expecting an ass-whooping, but I'm not expecting a win. I'm not. You know, but in my stomach, it feels like the opposite of 2018, where 2018, Texas had everything on paper – but my stomach the entire week was saying, no, Texas is going to lose this one. Oklahoma State is the one who's going to win, and then ended up being Oklahoma State. I don't think, and I was saying that entire week as well, and I was criticized heavily for it, that I don't think Texas was a top 10 team, or at least they, they weren't elite like a top 10 team. They still had a bunch of issues. I think the same thing holds for this Oklahoma State team. So I go back and forth with this, but I do think Oklahoma State beats Texas 35-28, something like that. 34. I said 34-20, but I really wanted to say 34-27, but CJ Reeds took that, so I don't want to look like I was copying him. Shoot, you got to go You gotta go with what you go in. People can have the same thoughts sometimes. It happens. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It, it, I think I would bet on Oklahoma State in this game, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'm not sure on that again. It's just a running quarterback, a really good wide receiver, two good running backs, and a good defense. I don't like it. Every Texas game is a toss-up. 100%. 100%. But I think we're going to end off on that note, y'all. This has been 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. My man, DT, where can we find you? Y'all can find me in the same spot, D-T-E-R-R-E-L-L-0-5. Give me a shout. Darius, real fast before we get out of here, I want to ask you this one question that I heard on the radio. Craig Way was playing this game. You have one team that they win the championship in their next season, but they don't win it for another 20 years. Mm-hmm. Which of you teams is that? What do you mean, like professional team? Any team. Um, Give me a team to win the championship and don't win one another 20 years. That would make me a Cowboys fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I was assuming. 
Uh, I was thinking extra, Texas basketball. Five years on there. Yeah, Texas basketball years. for me, hundred percent. Too easy. Uh, yeah. Oh, you know. Eh. I don't know how much satisfaction I would get out of that. Yeah. That. Yeah. 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 That would be pretty cool too. But let's do it this year. How about Texas this football? year. This year's the year. When does Texas football win? They win every when they win 1969, every 35 years. So it could be Texas football too. Could you be know? Texas football. So hey, it fits a lot. It applies to a lot of people. Yep. A lot of stuff. Yep. But y'all, you guys can find us and our other stuff on texas.thefootballbrainiacs.com. That is TFB underscore Texas on Twitter. And you guys can find our other shows like this one on the Hornscast channel, which is on any podcasting platform out there. Tell your friends, tell your family, please. Uh, we want them to be just as depressed as we are. <laughs> <laughs> so thank y'all for listening, and we'll see y'all next week. Hook them. Hook em.